Roe versus who knows? Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, editor at QuorumReport.com, and here for the very last week of this legislative session to wrap it all up with me is Jeremy Wallace at the Houston Chronicle and HoustonChronicle.com. I worked about 14-hour days each day this week, Jeremy, so if I sound a little punchy, yeah, a little tired, if, if some of what I say doesn't make any sense... Please forgive me. Yeah, I left the Capitol so late last night that the doors were all locked (laughs) and I had to crawl through (laughs) like a back door to get out of the darn place. Well, thank God that you got out of there and thank God that the legislature is out of there. A lot of folks would say that we're all safer when they're not there. Uh, And (laughs) they have been... They have been there for nine months. At least yep. most of them have been. Uh, you know, it, it's often said, and it's sort of a joke, that people will uh, make fun of the lawmakers because they run for office. They spend a lot of money to get there, but then they all complain about having to be in Austin. Yep. Right? Can't I get out of here? Um, but in fairness to them, it is a part-time job that they sign up for, and they don't expect to be here for nine months. But that is the way it has worked out. And I think we are only looking at probably – a few days or maybe hopefully a couple of weeks of a break for them because there will be another special session that's planned by the governor specifically on the issue of redistricting. And as we've told people all throughout the year, that was always going to kind of be the plan because redistricting is delayed because of the census numbers being delayed because of COVID, of course, which stop me if you've heard this before, COVID messed something up. It messed up the count uh, and it slowed it down last year uh, as they were doing that. So we will cover all of that. The the uh, the redistricting fight uh, is one that's always bitterly partisan, as if we haven't had enough fights like that this year. Uh, but first, we should start with and Jeremy, here's the way I was saying, and, and I didn't want people to think that I was being flippant about this, but I've described it as America noticing what Texas did when it comes to the issue of abortion. Yep. We covered it here on the show and at quorumreport.com, houstonchronicle.com, and other Texas media, of course, we're all over this. We do live in tumultuous times, so I will forgive folks for not noticing that. Uh, But what became reality for women across the state on Wednesday, on September 1st, is that this six-week ban on abortion went into effect. And so that means you literally had some abortion clinics turning women away when they arrived uh, for their appointment uh, to have the procedure. And that just makes it real for people. You know, I mean, they, some of these people maybe even saw the headlines at the time and didn't really pay that much of attention to it. But uh, you and I were talking about, you had a big story in the Chronicle, uh, yeah. you know, months ago, explaining not only uh, what it was, you know, as a, as a headline version of the six week abortion ban, but also you got down into the weeds of exactly what this thing would do. Now, I wanna take people back to the regular session of the legislature and give you a little bit of flavor for this, of the the way the debate played out. Representative Donna Howard, who's a senior Democrat from Austin and somebody who's respected by members of both parties, I would say. She's on appropriations and, you know, they listen to her about various issues. Of course, when it comes to abortion, uh, the Republicans will stick their fingers in their ears if she's speaking. Uh, But she was fighting this on the House floor back during that regular session. And here's what she had to say to members of the GOP. Do you know... There will always be women who will pursue having abortions despite what you do here today and what you've been doing for a decade to create all these obstructions. It will always be a case that women will seek abortions because women are not always in a position to have that baby. And you guys don't have to have them. We do. 
It sounds a lot like debates I have listened to at the Texas Capitol for, as she mentioned, about a decade. I'm thinking back to 2013 when then-Senator Wendy Davis was filibustering a big abortion bill, a sweeping abortion bill at that time, uh, and she talked for 13 hours. Remember, we had a, a filibuster this year. Yep. lasted about 15 hours on the elections bill. That one did not work out. And, and in fact, um, people may remember that uh, abortion filibuster years ago, but in the in the grand scheme, it didn't work out either because there was an immediate special session called after the one she was speaking in. Uh, and the same exact bill eventually passed. And folks keep asking the question, what more could Texas do when it comes to the issue of abortion? Well, as you explained in your piece, They've gotten pretty creative about the enforcement on this, right? Yeah, exactly. I would say, yeah, and it, like, again, back in the spring when we were first kind of writing about this, you know, it wasn't just the media that was, you know, ringing the alarm on this thing, but there were a lot of, you know, pro-choice groups around the nation who were kind of, you know, worried about this. They could see. I, I, I spoke to some, you know, some folks uh, back in March, like I said, that they have called this uniquely worse than any other bill they've seen in any other state. Because it allowed complete strangers to potentially sue the people who help a woman go get an abortion. Uh, so we're talking, you know, you can sue like a mother of a pregnant woman you know, if that mother helped that daughter get an abortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it has a, obviously a very chilling effect. Uh, and, you know, State Senator Brian Hughes from Mineola uh, thought what made this bill so clever is that it didn't have the state enforcing the ban on abortion, but instead it was going to be individuals who would be empowered to sue out there in the, in the general you know public. So, mm-hmm. which has obviously opened up a lot of doors. You hear a lot of people saying, you know, on who are supportive of abortion rights talking about how this is going to create a vigilante type system of where, you have pro-life, you know, people in Amarillo, Texas, who are suing anybody they can in Houston, Texas, you know, that they don't know, don't understand, whatever, just so they can make a buck. Yeah, I would imagine there would not be much transparency to this. Uh, some of the same groups that will be suing uh, abortion providers, I would think, would be some of the same groups that hide their campaign finances in, uh, you know, shady nonprofits. I'm thinking of Texas Right to Life, for example. Um, Brian Hughes, who you mentioned is by trade a trial lawyer. Uh, he used to work at the Lanier Law Firm, which is one of the premier, uh, you know, uh, tort, uh, you know, civil litigator uh, firms in the state. Um, and I have talked a lot about this, this idea of the right-wing trial lawyer. This year was really the rise of the right-wing trial lawyer in Texas. And what I mean by that is that for decades, it has been one of the foundational principles of the Texas Republican Party that they, that frivolous lawsuits need to be dealt with. And frivolous lawsuits need to be prevented. I mean, that's why we have a group called Texans for Lawsuit Reform, which is still one of the most prolific donors to Republican candidates. In fact, at the end of the 2020 cycle, they gave about $11.2 million to the effort to make sure that the Texas House still had a Republican majority. So these same folks are supporting people like Hughes in this effort. And the two people you're about to hear from also Republicans, and also trial lawyers. Check this out. Briscoe Cain takes credit for having written the language of this piece of legislation. He was on Newsmax, because of course he was, to talk about this. And here's how he described how it's going to work. Well, there's a very important distinction 
And one of those was made from looking at the success and failures of the other um, states that passed similar bills. This one, um, for very important distinction, one, these aren't six-week bans. This is a ban when the heartbeat is detected. That could be at different stages depending on the technology. But two, really important, is that we empower Texans to uh, enforce their rights. We empower Texans to do this instead of the government, uh, we, which is something that's very important that uh, we should allow people to enforce these things. So we allow for people to bring a private right of action against uh, those performing or attempting to perform abortions or those who are aiding and abetting or maybe paying for the abortion to do exactly what we seek to do, which is to end abortions for those with a detectable heartbeat. I mentioned shady nonprofits that uh, you know play in politics. I thought it was interesting. Struck my ear funny that he kept using the term empower Texans. Uh, Kane and Representative Shelby Slauson, who is another right-wing trial lawyer, uh, Slauson argued for this on the House floor. She sponsored the bill, and listen to this. She says, and, and here's why I named the show Roe versus who knows, because the case Roe versus Wade was a case against the Dallas County District Attorney, right? Henry yep. Wade back in the day, decades ago. And at that time, when abortion was illegal in Texas, it was up to district attorneys to prosecute those cases. And Henry Wade, who was a right-wing DA in Dallas County, made that one of his big causes to do that. He ended up you know, being sued. That goes all the way to the United States Supreme Court. And we get the case law that we have lived with in this uh, country for decades because of that. Well, Slauson says you can't trust the district attorneys anymore to do that. She says that instead, we need individuals to be going around and filing these civil actions against people to try to make sure that there are fewer abortions uh, by basically taking doctors, taking abortion uh, providers down to the courthouse and fighting them that way. Well, and that was a critically important feature of this bill because we had already seen in the last year many elected DAs across the country, including in Texas, vowing that even upon the enactment of legislation to protect that innocent unborn life that they would refuse to enforce the law. This is turning everything on its head, not just legally, but also politically. You heard what I said about Henry Wade. That's when Dallas would have had a right wing person in the DA's office. They don't have that now in Dallas County, right? Just yep. like you wouldn't have that in Harris County either. And the vast majority of these procedures would be done in those urban areas, right? Especially given the fact that so much has been done over the last decade to cut down on abortion access all throughout the rest of the state. I was thinking of it this way, uh, and our producer Sarah and I were talking about this before the show. Um, when it comes to people learning about this stuff, because it's actually starting to happen in real life and it wasn't just something that was in the news, something that was proposed at the legislature, when a woman's actually turned away at an abortion clinic, it's because of this new law, it's not unlike when a hospital in a rural area would shut down. We've had, a, we've had a, uh, a crisis of that all across Texas, sort of under the radar. A lot of these rural areas cannot keep a hospital in business, right? Because they have so much uncompensated care. The business model doesn't work. There was a story years ago uh, in Centerville, Texas, which is between uh, Houston and Dallas on I-45, south of Corsicana. Um, there was a story where a woman had uh, her baby uh, who was choking on a grape, and she rushed to the hospital and the hospital doors were chained shut because it had shut down and she hadn't heard about that. Um, and the baby died. So there are real world consequences that people don't really 
understand or fully uh, appreciate Jeremy until it actually does happen to them in the real world. And this is the kind of thing that politically, I wonder if you do start to get some backlash because there are those people who are experiencing this in their real lives and they start to ask the question, how do I make this different? Well, yeah, and that's a really good point because this one thing to make clear, this you know, this legislation that's now the law of the land does not have an exception for rape and incest, which is, right. you know, typically the line which goes from, you know, abortion law, you know, being, you know, considered conservative to ultra conservative by putting that like taking that part of it out. You know, it's like just understand what this does. This allows somebody uh, like a, a stranger again to sue a woman who has been raped who is mm-hmm. seeking an abortion now what's interesting the legislature did put in a provision in the law that prevents the actual rapist from suing the woman but it doesn't stop like his family from maybe suing you know the woman it's like and so you, 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 that discussion is going to be a very difficult discussion in suburban america you know, to, and you're trying to explain this to women that even mm-hmm. if you're raped, you're going to have to carry this to term uh, because of the way Texas wrote this bill. Yeah. And the consequences of these elections, I mean, at some point it catches up with folks. Um, you know, I think that there was also an assumption on the part of a lot of people that the United States Supreme Court would step in on something like this, because a lot of people hear about a six week abortion ban and they just think that that is unconstitutional on its yeah. face because we have lived with the Roe versus Wade decision uh, as case law for so long. Uh, but the court is very different now from when that was decided, right? And it has been getting more conservative and there was a Republican effort to make it more conservative. Remember, you had the uh, majority leader at the time, Mitch McConnell, who refused to allow President Obama to fill a Supreme Court seat. But when he was talking to some other folks, um, he was talking to, I think it was from some folks in Kentucky, uh, there was some event where McConnell was asked, you know, well, what if um, it was a Republican president and everything was the same? In, in the Obama case, uh, McConnell had said, well, it's an election year, and so the American people should decide who the president should be, and then the question of Supreme Court vacancies should be addressed. But then when they asked McConnell, well, what about if there was a Republican president in the same situation? What did he say? He said, well, we would fill it, of course. <laughs> His attitude was almost, uh, why are you even asking me that, right? Yeah. Um, so, so I think that um, those consequences uh, are starting to become apparent to people uh, and that for there to be real backlash about this, um, you know, that this is something that unfortunately I've talked to a lot of women who feel this way. They felt like, look, this would have to happen for more people to be outraged about what has gone on in Texas because for the vast majority of women, they were still able to get an abortion if they, if they needed it. But I think things are very uh, different right now. Um, Governor Abbott is saying that business leaders and Elon Musk in particular, are big fans of this kind of thing, of these culture war deals like the abortion bill uh, and you know transgender sports bans and uh, critical race theory uh, legislation, all this sort of stuff. Abbott was on CNBC, and he said that, no, look, he, because he was asked about whether or not these culture war things are running business off, because we've heard of some of that. You know, we've heard of some manufacturers and um, you know, some other businesses, some, uh, some, some in the high tech sector, for example, who have said they won't relocate to Texas because of these sorts of issues. They can't attract the kind of workforce that they want in a state where this is public policy. But Abbott says, no, no, it's the opposite that people like Elon Musk, who's a good buddy of his uh, to listen to him talk here. He says Musk and others, they love these kinds of policies. 
this is not slowing down businesses coming to the state of Texas at all. In fact, it is accelerating the process of businesses coming to Texas, particularly, Morgan, interestingly. Uh, they are leaving the very liberal state of California. And i got to tell you, whether it be Elon Musk, who I talk to frequently, mm -hmm. uh, Elon had to get out of California because in part of the social policies in California, and Elon consistently tells me that he likes the social policies in the state of Texas. That is apparently not true, according to Elon Musk. Uh, Musk, and he didn't, uh, I'll read to you what he said. He didn't directly rebuke Abbott, but he tweeted uh, in response to those comments. Uh, Musk said, quote, In general, I believe government should rarely impose its will upon people. Let me stop there. Let me stop there. That doesn't sound like a person who agrees with a six-week ban on abortion. Does it? I you know I I'm 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 reading this carefully. I'm parsing the words. He says, in general, I believe government should rarely impose its will upon people, and when doing so, should aspire to maximize their cumulative happiness. That said, I would prefer to stay out of politics. Um, here, here's my take on this, Jeremy. My hot take. I'm always annoyed when people have a hot take, but here's my hot take on this. The hot take is. That and I've seen. You, there's been a lot written about this. I've seen it in Bloomberg and Business Week and publications like that. They'll say that these, uh, you know, divisive uh, culture war, social issue things that, that this runs people off. It causes some businesses to not want to be in Texas. I think there is some of that, and I am aware of some cases of that. But I think what's more important, what's really going on here, and why the sterling business reputation of Texas is in some question now over the last few years is because instead of the business agenda being on the front burner in Texas, which it always was for decades, right? I mean, state government would often be accused, and you've seen national coverage about this. Uh, when Rick Perry was running for president, there were questions raised by the New York Times and others about his uh, deal closing funds and things like that, you know, the ETF and the, the other, uh, you know, funds that the governor has at his disposal, as his disposal to be able to bring in uh, more business. They would always accuse state government of being too cozy with business. Right. For a long time. And now it's not even on the back burner. It's it's it. They don't even care about it. Um, you had large companies lobbying the state legislature to extend um, tax incentive agreements. Right. To be able to do yeah. corporate relocations and manufacturing uh, relocations, you know, building new plants, auto manufacturers, things like that. And that didn't even pass in the legislative session this year. So what I'm saying is it's all taken a back seat. To the culture war stuff and that's why somebody like musk would make the comments that he made there uh and other business uh, leaders would probably they wouldn't tweet it the way that musk did but they're probably grumbling and i have heard some of them grumbling that this is not the same sort of um economic machine that rick perry built years ago yeah and you wonder like the the impact on younger you know workers right you know it's like younger workers were the ones who you know, that, that was the concern when we were talking about the, the, the bathroom bills back in 2017, right? You know, that, you know, there would be a boycott of younger people coming uh, to Texas. We need those workers. Like, you know, you don't have to be, you know, look around. There's a shortage of workers right now. And if we're, if we're telling younger workers not to come to Texas uh, because, you know, particularly younger women right now, you know, with the, this abortion law, uh, but yep. like – Younger, you know, people in general, you know, this is going to be a bad calling card, so to speak, of what Texas represents right now, because this is yeah. everywhere. This is na nationwide news. It's taken Joe Biden in the Afghanistan 
you know, pullout completely out of the news cycle and has oh, yeah. made Texas, you know, being absolutely hostile to abortion rights, the center stage, right? And it's like, whether you agree with it or not, that's what everybody's talking about. So what's the chances of you getting young professionals to want to move here now? You know, yeah, good question. Years, years ago, I think it was in 2015, uh, one of the arch conservative activists, Steve Hotze, was pushing the legislature to, um, and this was around the time that uh, the gay marriage debate was still hot, but the Supreme Court, uh, you know, had weighed in on that. Gay marriage is the law of the land. And uh, he wanted the state to prohibit tax dollars from being able to be used to issue marriage licenses to same-sex couples. And one of the uh, lobby efforts on that was oil and gas. They didn't want a bill like that to pass because, for example, in the Woodlands, Texas, at that time, Exxon was building that huge campus there uh, in yeah. Montgomery County. And under the radar, those oil and gas guys will tell you, we are trying to attract the best and brightest, not just from around the country, but around the world. And if all they know about a place is it's called the Woodlands, Texas, it's hard enough to get them to move there. And that's before you put up signs that say, you know, there are certain people who are not welcome in this community and they were successful in fighting that off and so far uh the business folks in the state have been uh, successful in fighting off a lot of this uh, anti-lgbtq stuff including at least so far this year uh this ban on transgender youth in uil sports and we'll talk more about that um the elections bill finally settled out yep. it's finally done it's all over with right they, they voted on Senate Bill 1, the, the final conference committee report. There was none of the shenanigans that we saw during the regular session. Um, I hate to have to report it this way, but when we, were, when, you know, when we posted it at quorumreport.com, I had to say there's nothing in this bill that they didn't previously talk about uh, as promised. In other words, everybody kept their word this time around because the first time around, that did not happen, and we yeah. still don't know exactly where some of that language come from it came from which we have talked about ad uh, you know just ad nauseum here um garnet coleman uh chairman of county affairs he was speaking before final passage in the texas house a democrat from houston he said look the bill isn't one that he can support but it's not as bad as it was i appreciate personally the work that was done to make this a better bill and i appreciate the fact that the conference committee report adopts the House language uh, that actually made this a better bill. The bill is not good enough for me to vote for, and I think it still has major flaws that uh, will create problems down the road. And all I can hope is that if those problems occur, as was said uh, on the floor, uh, that these are likely challenges for people voting because of the language in the bill, that we come back here in two years and fix it. Now, why is this so offensive to an African-American leader like Garnett Coleman? You're putting up barriers to people being able to vote. Well, he talked about his own family's experience with racism in the South over the course of decades. I guess some of you all would be, be surprised that I was born in segregation. I think you would be surprised. You didn't, I heard the stories of my father driving back from DC to Houston and the fear of being stopped, having to stay in black hotels, uh, not being able to exercise all of their rights because of the fact that the world was in segregation. I grew up in a segregated neighborhood. Things were not the same for people of color, for black people in particular at that time. Uh, and that moved over and became part of the voting uh, history of this country. 
the idea that barriers were put up for people to cast their ballot and become a part of this America that we all love. Now, this is not an issue that they seem to be done with, Jeremy. I mean, we have talked about this elections bill now for nine months, um, and there's been, there have been so many twists and turns, and I think the bill has been uh, reworded uh, here in a way that Democrats find a little more palatable, but that they're not going to vote for, obviously didn't vote for. Uh, that happens a lot when you're doing what I call adult legislating. You try to make the bill better, even if you're going to um, vote against it on final passage. But we did see that just this week on the Texas Senate floor, an election audit bill was moved quickly through the legislative process on the Senate side. It did not make its way all the way through the process, so it's not the law today. We have reported at quorumreport.com that the governor may add this to the next special session, but this would basically be like what they have done in Arizona, uh, an audit of an election where there has been no evidence of any uh, fraud. Uh, Senator Paul Bettencourt, who I know is a listener of the show, he may take some exception to what I'm saying, um, but it seemed like, as I listened to the questioning of him on the Senate floor about this, that it would not be that hard to kick off an expensive audit of big counties or small counties or the entire state if, if anybody questions an election that they just didn't like the outcome of. Um, and so I don't know, Jeremy, I don't know if they uh, think that the elections bill that they just passed isn't good enough to placate the supporters of former President Trump, uh, just like, and we'll talk about this in just a second, just like on the critical race theory thing, they had already passed a bill on that and still needed to do another bill about it in the in this special session. Yeah, and, and this is going to surprise nobody who's listening to this, but you know, this audit provision is like a lot of the other parts of this bill, which is it's focused on Harris County in Houston. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like it's clear the legislature, the Republicans in the legislature have decided that they, you know, a lot of this is is about Houston and Harris County just, you know, doing all kinds of stuff that they don't agree with. And so you think of like, you know, by ending 24 hour voting, who was doing that? That was Houston. Who was doing, you know, late night, you know, all night voting? Houston. What's eliminated? That. You know, unmanned drop boxes. Who was trying to do that? Houston. Yeah. Okay, that's out. All of it is Houston. This audit provision, and Benton Court will tell you this. I did talk to him about this at length. Uh, this is, you know, aimed at Houston again because there was, when they were doing drive through voting, there was a discrepancy in the poll books about how many people showed up to vote in the actual mm -hmm. vote tally. And, you know, Benton Court, you know, was upset that he couldn't get an answer from them. And so right. to him, this bill is aimed at these things where you have irregularities and they can do an audit through the state to see what the heck Harris County did to mess up that poll book or the vote tally, you know, give mm -hmm. us a better explanation. Of course, as you point out, a lot of people are saying, well, there's an avenue in this, but the way he wrote this, that would allow a campaign, I don't know, say the Trump campaign to mm -hmm. ask for a review of voting in Harris County if things go really bad for them in the future, yeah. you know? Right. So certainly there's a door that's open there, but Benton Court will definitely argue that this isn't about having an Arizona-style mm -hmm. audit. Uh, he says that's not what he's trying to do here, but a, a, a smart Republican lawyer is sure to find a way to turn this into of course. a way to do this if Harris County ends up taking out some statewide elected officials, you know, at mm -hmm. some point, which the trend line shows could very well happen <laughs> sooner Absolutely. than later. And some uh, breaking news just this afternoon, uh, the Brennan Center for Justice and uh, the uh, Mexican-American uh, Legal Defense Fund, MALDEF, they are filing suit 
um, to try to block Senate Bill 1, the elections bill. We will keep an eye on that as it now makes its way through the courts, which is what usually happens with bitterly partisan legislation in Texas. Two uh, just red meat issues, I would say hot button issues, whatever, very controversial pieces of legislation were held up in the Texas House Public Education Committee this week, and only one of them made it out of the committee. Uh, and I'll talk about why in just a second, at least my theory, which is doesn't, it's not really a wild theory at all, Jeremy. Um, the two, you, you know what they were, right? The two bills were the critical race theory bill, yep. 2.0, I get 2.0. And the other one has to do with transgender youth in high school sports in Texas. Uh, the critical race theory bill eventually made its way out of the committee. But before that, the chairman of that committee, Harold Dutton, I should say Harold Dutton Jr., a Democrat of Houston, he's about 80 years old. And you got to love the voice. It's just smooth delivery. Even when he's basically saying to somebody that he thinks that they're an idiot, it's a smooth delivery. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's wonderful to listen to. He talked about the relationship between the Texas House and the Texas Senate. And he was specifically talking about Lieutenant Governor Patrick. Uh, and he said, especially toward the end of this last legislative session, this, this special, uh, that it has become absolutely toxic, which is usually what happens at the end of a legislative session. It's not so much Democrats versus Republicans. It's more House versus Senate. Here's how he put it. We've gotten to a point now where the Senate has adopted certain principles and practices that I don't think bore well for this legislature. I think that what's happened is that we have allowed them to do certain things um, and they disrespect the House in certain fashions. That it resulted in, I don't know whether you're here, but one day it boiled over into me and uh, I think me and about 40 legislators went over to the Senate uh, because the, the, the whole Salute was, if the Senate doesn't respect us, they ought to expect us. <laughs> Basically, he's saying that Lieutenant Governor Patrick's being very disrespectful to the members of the House across a, a broad array of issues. And for that reason and others, uh, Dutton did not hold a vote on two of Patrick's top priorities, those bills that I mentioned. Instead, he ended the meeting like this. What I'm told is that if we don't pass this, uh, two bills, the CRT bill, and the transgender bill, the Senate is not going to consider trying to fix the funding in Article 10. So, I want to see if he has his big boy pants on. This meeting is adjourned. So I want to see if he had his big boy pants on. He adjourned the meeting without holding votes on that. Now, they did eventually go on and pass one of those bills, the critical race theory bill, which was then passed by the House, passed by the Senate, and went to Governor Abbott for his signature. Now, the one that deals with critical race theory, Jeremy, I thought this was fascinating. Um, that one has the backing of some Republican mega donors in a way that the uh, transgender uh, sports bill does not. Um, we had reported out at quorumreport.com earlier in the week that of those two uh, issues, the ones that were stalling, the one prioritized by Texans for Lawsuit Reform Chairman Dick Weekly was now on its way to the Texas House floor. There was a meeting that was done on Zoom 
between Lieutenant Governor Patrick and some of his chairmen. It was, it was basically billed as a Senate leadership meeting with uh, folks from TLR and Patrick and his chairman to talk about different priorities. This was held back in March, and it was a very little noticed thing. There was a video of it uh, on YouTube that had about 300 views as of Wednesday. I think after our story went up that day, it had more views. And um, the the gist of it was that Dick Weekly, this, and let me say it this way, that group directed more than $11 million to Republican efforts to hold the majority in the House, which you remember, we had reported uh, toward the end of last year that all this national Democratic money was coming in to try to help the Democrats get over the finish line. And TLR just about canceled them out dollar for dollar yep. right there at the end, right, to, to put the Republicans back over the uh, back over the finish line and, and, and keep their majority. Uh, Weekly had said to Patrick during this meeting uh, that this is a scourge, that uh, the critical race theory is a big problem, not just across the country, uh, but also here in Texas. He said it's being taught in colleges and universities and also in high schools and even in elementary schools. And underscoring that it's a personal issue for him, Chairman Weekly said, quote, my daughter out in California probably won't send her kids back to public schools because the problems out there uh, exist regarding critical race theory. And this is when you get to see, it's one of those moments, Jeremy, of... Um, this, this is usually stuff that happens in private where one of these mega donors is talking to somebody like the lieutenant governor. Well, this was on a public YouTube channel thing. And Patrick simply says, look, you're right. It scares the hell out of me. That was the quote. We're not going to put up with this in the Texas Senate. We can pass a law on that. Uh, and he also said he was working on uh, what is uh, called the Liberty Institute at the University of Texas, uh, which they're setting up with the Board of Regents. Uh, the state is putting six or seven million dollars into that thing, which sounds like a Texas Public Policy Foundation, but just at the University of Texas at Austin to try to promote conservative values. Um, it, this, the emphasis on this is a little different when it has that kind of money behind it. Both of those things, transgender sports and the critical race theory bill, have the backing of a lot of folks in the base of the Republican Party, but you see how only one of them moves through the process when it's the Republican mega donors who are telling the lieutenant governor this needs to happen. And you have to imagine that those contributors were saying similar things to other members of the legislature too. Yeah, exactly. And you can see that like the, the political weight of this issue is clearly growing for the Republicans, right? They see this as the winning issue in 2022 when they go into the midterm. So everywhere you look, you know, they think this issue, you know, about saying, you know, stop teaching critical race theory in school is going to get their base out and going to help them win in suburban communities uh, where they're pitching this as, look, critical race theory uh, basically says, you know, white people are inherently, you know, you know, racist people. Mm -hmm. And you heard, you know, State Senator Brian Hughes go to the floor, you know, yesterday, you know, as the session wrapped up saying that, you know, this bill just, you know, make sure that the teachers are not teaching that, uh, there are some races that are more inherently racist than others. You know, that is like something that is selling well within certain circles of the Republican Party. And they think this is yeah. a winning issue in the suburban areas.
Yeah, and, and it also, I think, has to do with uh, groups like uh, TLR and others that have put a lot of money into these uh, incumbents to try to help them in their primaries. To, because if this is a big deal for the base of the Republican Party, uh, then part of what they're trying to do uh, by passing legislation on this is to be able to say to uh, base Republicans, people, grassroots Republicans, look, we took care of this for you. I, there's no reason to even have a Republican primary because you've got me. I passed all of this stuff. And, and like you talked about in the past, um, look, uh, it was a red meat buffet at the legislature for the last nine months when it came to abortion, which we talked about first, gun rights with the uh, constitutional carry with critical race theory, then now passed two bills on that, the elections, quote unquote, integrity deal. Uh, but on this issue of uh, critical race theory, it's a, I'll say it's just a fake issue. It's, it's not real. And here, here's why I say that in 30 in a state of 30 million people, there has not been one credible accusation of a public school teacher telling white students to hate themselves or that they are inherently racist. We haven't heard one case like that. Now, there was uh, reported just this week, uh, I think, that a school, a school administrator uh, in one district has been put on leave because there are some accusations that critical race theory is being promoted in that school district. But even that hasn't been proven. And, and, and I'll say this, in some of my conversations with Republican activists over the last six or seven months, uh, during most of this year, as I've, as I've listened to these folks talk about different things, it was not abortion, it wasn't guns, it wasn't transgender students or any of those other issues that got people the most fired up. It was this one. Yeah. Give you an example. I went to a dinner with some lovely folks uh, who were from Victoria County and, um, uh, you know, conservative Republicans, lovely people, nice people. Um, and the conversation was wide ranging, just having a dinner, talking to people. Uh, and one of the guys who was there was not really saying anything until this topic came up. And then the guy talked without taking a breath for about 30 minutes. It, it, was, it was there was so much intensity there. So I think one of the things that's going on with this is it might appeal to a small group, but those people are intense about it, right? They think that this has to do with the same kind of people who were so angry about having the first African-American president, right? That, that we have a country that's rapidly changing around all of us, demographics are changing, and they feel like as white people, things are slipping away from them. And there, it has to be a zero-sum game. Like if black people and brown people are doing better, then that means that white people have to do worse. That's the way they, That's the way it is processed in their head, right? That something's being taken away from them and they feel that that's some kind of a threat. I think the same kind of folks probably show up for something called the Texas Youth Summit. Did you see this where uh, Congressman Louis Gohmert was speaking? Yep. Uh, just the other day, I guess this was over maybe over the weekend last uh, last weekend um he was talking about covid and i want to get the latest numbers from you in just a second because they are i mean we we had said last week maybe there was uh, some glimmer of hope but no not really gomert was telling this crowd and listen to this this is how things get ginned up online on these different blogs and on social media where people talk about these different ways to treat covid rather than just going to get the vaccine such an aversion to going and getting a vaccine that is safe, free, and effective. Instead, they would put sheep dewormer into their body. And I think the Department of State Health Services had to put out an alert about a record number of, of you know, calls for, uh, you know, poison control. People are taking this, uh, this, 
the stuff that's for livestock and putting it in their own body. Well, listen to Gomert and listen to the, and it's typical stuff from Gomert, but listen to the crowd reaction when he brings up the other ways that you could maybe try to uh, treat yourself if you get COVID-19. A regimen of medication that when taken together early in COVID that uh, you may have heard of it, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, uh, um, a Z-pack, azithromycin, zinc. A friend of mine was calling it ivermedicine. And I saw where <laughs> ivermectin, ivermectin is for livestock. I saw um, where one person from West Texas was tweeting out that they went and stocked up on ivermectin because they had been reading some of these far right wing blogs that were suggesting that people take it. The reason this person had stocked up on it was because they actually do have livestock and they felt that nutcases were going to go and buy all this stuff to give it to themselves or give it to their family, right? So you have to kind of have situational awareness you know, of, of what's going to happen in a supply chain. Um, but Jeremy, you were looking at the numbers and this kind of thing where people are applauding these other you know, touted treatments, um, which doctors are saying, don't do this, right? I mean, the actual doctors saying, don't do this. Uh, in the meantime, the real issue is people not getting vaccinated. And we have some breakthrough cases with some people who have been vaccinated. And so that's something to watch out for as well. Uh, but as you looked at the numbers, what did you see this week? Well, well, first of all, I want to find out what kind of youth summit is Louis Gohmert, the speaker at? How many kids are going, you know what we want to do this weekend, dad? We want to go see Louis Gohmert <laughs> give us a speech on COVID-19. So there's a lot right. of questions. I wish I was there just so I could investigate who was in this youth crowd and <laughs> listening yes. to Louis Gohmert. You would want to wear your mask, though. I'm not saying he, he, look, he, I, he, he, you know, he may be a K-pop kind of, you know, star <laughs> in, in his own world not, or something. Maybe, I don't know. But I'm thinking, boy band. I'm thinking BTS doesn't it's, have to worry about, like, Louis no. Gohmert taking their It's not water away. parks. No, 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 no. No, well, right. so, uh, but, you know, so where That's we are. That's my daughter's favorite right now is a band called Water Parks. Oh, okay. They're from Houston, by the way. Okay. Well, so yeah, no. If you were going to go, if you were going to go to that Texas Youth Summit, I would suggest being vaccinated and wearing a mask. <laughs> yeah, you would want to do both at that, and, that. And make sure there's hand sanitizer. You know, plenty of it. In, in fact, your car. with the Texas Youth Summit, what I do is I socially distance by about two hundred miles, <laughs> wherever they might be. Like if they're in Dallas, I'd want to be in Houston or maybe in Mexico, like further than that. Yeah. Well, but and seriously, to the point though, it's like like we mentioned last week. It looked like the the hospital numbers were giving us some you know glimmer of hope that maybe we were cresting uh, mm. with this latest wave. Uh, but I got to tell you, it's like it was depressing looking at. Uh, the death numbers this week being reported by the state. Uh, we went up about 2,000 deaths just since last week yeah, that they are now reporting. We're not sure where those people died. You know, I, it's not like they all died within the last week or so. It's w what's been reported. But it was still shocking to see us, you know, you know, for two days in a row have over 300 you know, new deaths reported. Uh, mm -hmm. So that brings our number. Like, by the time this weekend is over, we're going to be probably close to 57,000 Texans who have died. Uh, right. That is like, you know, you know, like I talked about this before, this is beyond like, it's like the entire population of Galveston and then some, you know, actually passing yeah. away. Uh, mm -hmm. So you can see how the series has gotten. The hospitalizations are about 13, you know, thousand or closing still around that 14,000 level, which, you know, doesn't give us a lot of hospital beds left over. Uh, that's why you see the governor right now is running around pushing.
these uh, infusion centers, you know, these antibody infusion centers, which is a treatment that is used for people who might end up in the hospital with COVID-19. Yeah. But if they get this treatment fast enough, it could keep them from needing a hospital bed. Because guess what? There just aren't that many hospital beds. There are whole regions like around Waco, you know, Corpus Christi, Galveston, mm-hmm. that are completely out of ICU beds. There's no place to put people. And so you can see there's a real crisis within the hospital. So going into this Labor Day weekend and you just kind of have to pray that, you know, people are going to be smart and kind of get some social distance going and not do the things we would normally do mm-hmm. on a Labor Day weekend. Right. And, and it, you'll note the governor is not promoting uh, livestock dewormer, you know, as, a, as something that you should take when you uh, when you contract COVID-19. Uh, by the way, I think I. Might have misspoke earlier. MALDEF, of course, stands for Mexican-American Legal Defense and Educational Fund. I think I left one word out. I want to make sure they get credit for what they're doing on that case. Um, all right. Is that enough show? That I'm done. like we're full. I've, I'm done. I think all these days that we went through that were 14, 15, 16 hours or whatever, this show feels like 16 hours to me at this point. Um, so thanks for sticking with us all the way through it. If you enjoy it course you do you should be a subscriber on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, however you listen to your favorite podcast give us the best rating that you can leave us a nice review we'd appreciate it and if you would subscribe at quorumreport.com and houstonchronicle.com we would say a big thank you as well we will see you right here on the podcast very soon mm-hmm.